back to another episode of Truncated Thoughts presented by Pre-Scouter. We're discussing big ideas in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ryan LaRanger and Dr. Michael Boat. You've probably heard the term Internet of Things or IoT, which essentially describes the way many tangible things can be embedded with technology to create information exchange with other devices and systems. We're going to spend today's episode discussing the Internet of Medical Things. So Ryan, let's start with you. Can you describe some exciting innovations that you're seeing related to connected devices? Absolutely. So uh, it's connected devices is hugely broad, right? So let's talk about it in terms of um, cases where the application is pretty easy and low risk and it's likely to happen pretty soon. And those where it's a little bit more invasive maybe and a little bit more almost sci-fi-ish, right? Some of the innovations in IoT of medical devices that I actually find the most exciting are the ones that are kind of the simplest, right? Um, for instance, there are a whole suite of sensors that are being used by some innovators to better predict when a patient's bed will be free at a hospital to better plan, you know, when can we start in taking patients? And these involve very basic sensors and an interpretation of existing you know, information that's collected from the hospital. Uh, similar things along those lines, there are sensors which are being used uh, that can be used at home that are wearables, which can transmit directly to doctors, important information about a patient and even do some automatic things, set up visits and so on. And those are all sort of in the near term sort of things that either meet the clinical supply chain crisis in terms of patient experience or in terms of visits. In the longer term, interesting stuff, uh, we have wearables or internal sensors, which can be used or which can be used to measure things like uh, insulin or need for insulin, if you like blood sugar. But there are also uh, tools which can be used to, for instance, detect, have you swallowed a pill? because there's a dissolvable sensor in the pill itself. And so that's kind of the range, right? It's all based around tightening the loop of communication between a patient and their physician to lead to better care. You know, I want to come back to one thing you said before we move on to Michael. Let's talk about the, the hospital logistics a little bit. I have some friends that, that work for large hospital systems, and I've heard that to many of our surprises, there, there are not thousands and thousands of beds in a hospital. There might be hundreds, even in large hospitals. So how, how are these sensors being used? Can you tell us a little bit more about how that actually functions? Oh yeah, sure. So uh, there are a couple of different strategies being employed. There's no one gold standard for this, but uh, this sort of Oh, good. I get to talk about AI and machine learning again in an IoT podcast. I love it. Um, if you can think about it, right, it's, we're collecting all these data streams from sensors attached to or around patients, right? And the more of those data streams you have, the easier it is for you to make predictions about outcomes. Now, these can be predictions about will a patient get better? Will they get worse? Will they progress, right, in clinics? It can also be how likely are they to be at a point in which they're going to be leaving? So it's not, the thing I want to avoid is a sense of there's a sensor, singular, where it's just, it's the leave detector. It detects when you're going to leave, right? <laughs> Instead, it is the synthesis of data 
from a series of very mundane sensors and data reporting systems, which are then going through the filter of a machine learning tool to make a prediction. Got it. So it's following a series of signals to help forecast future availability of said beds. Um, Awesome. Michael, your take on connected devices, either in response to what Ryan has mentioned or ideas of your own. Yeah, I, I think what I'm pretty excited about is, is um, the adoption uh, currently of some of these technologies. And the way I see it, it's, it's almost like building clinical safety nets for critical diseases or for situations that you want to avoid because they can cause a catastrophe or potentially death. And so a lot of these tools, whether they are giving off signals to clinicians, whether they give off beeping alarms for nursing uh, staff, they're really sort of ironing out a lot of the um, potential risks for vulnerable populations. So, um, and that's also where, of course, the need is, in this case, the biggest. Think of sort of diseases that um, have to do with, with cardiology or in the elderly where maybe accessibility is not that good or there's not, not many people around. So I'm particularly excited about seeing those safety nets increase um, in quantity, but also increase in quality. Can you speak a little bit more, Michael, about the, the increasing of, of quality and, and the accessibility? How does it actually happen? So I think in most cases, um, so we're, we're talking about stuff that's ongoing. Um, these are by no definition things that are widely accepted across the board, unfortunately, because of many reasons. But let's, let's take a, a simple sensor that can measure a heartbeat, for instance, or any kind of vital sign. Um, these are more and more often being given to patients as they are being discharged to be monitored at home post-surgery or people who have um, a certain condition that may be threatening their, their vital signs, um, they can wear this and the data can be transmitted live to um, either a nursing staff or someone who's monitoring them or a uh, piece of software that integrates into an EMR, so to say. So this might be a tracking exercise and clinicians can then go in and see are these people doing well? Are they recovering well at home? Are they at risk for anything? And so this is just one example of one signal. But I think also the, the interesting part is really combining these with other kinds of parameters. So activity or movement, a lot of the step counters nowadays, right? Getting some contextual information around, all right, someone's heartbeat may be going up, but they're also walking or they're also running, right? So getting some additional points of, of data to really help clinicians at a distance inform decisions or, or explain certain parameters. So perhaps in lieu of getting a follow-up call from a nurse, a doctor, or a surgeon, or a hospital professional, you know, maybe a week or days or months later, there's an element of an embedded tracking um, tool that can help communicate how somebody is doing without necessarily having to, you know, hit them on the phone um, periodically. Ryan, yeah. what, what's your perspective on that? So uh, I would actually take a little bit of a, I, I love all of this and I agree with it by and large, but something that's important to keep in mind while we're having this conversation is the importance of not only the technological innovation here, but also just the evolution of norms and the regulatory environment, right? 
it's a lot of this happened post COVID for two kinds of reasons. Um, one of them being patient demand, right? Another one being relaxing of regulatory burdens around um, remote care at all, right? It's just recently, I think in New Jersey now, if you get a medical license in New Jersey, uh, you can do telehealth in like 36 other states if you get like that one certification where, you know, it used to be like you can only practice medicine in the states where you had a license. So if you wanted to be a telehealth person, you had to you know, get a license in all 50 states, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, and this is a lesson in sort of two parts. The first part is regulatory barriers. When they loosen, they can sort of loosen all at once, right? And that can dramatically change the environment in which an innovation sits. And the other part is when there's that pent up demand, the people who are poised to meet it quickly, who've seen the need and identified that the barriers to meeting that need are somewhat flimsy, are going to come out of this very well. Yeah, this is a good point, Ryan. I, I, I think the regulatory aspect to it, even though improving, I, I still feel is, is lagging behind. And, mm -hmm. and in particular, when we think about algorithms or the use of some data analytics on top of a, a sensor itself, we see that in, in larger jurisdictions, um, there's issues with having analytics or even machine learning algorithms evolve beyond a product release. So really also showing that even though the technology is, is pushing forward or moving forward, that some of these regulatory aspects are still putting up roadblocks to really help unroll some of these, um, um, some of these data analytics packages. So I, I think in, in trying to be imaginative on, on this podcast, right? I mean, we can certainly talk about the regulatory hurdles and roadblocks and potential cybersecurity issues that might um, be present in this as these things develop, but let's, let's put aside those things for a moment and let's assume five, 10 years down the road, you know, for each of you guys, what is happening in internet of medical things that maybe could be really, really exciting in five years, what should be developed, um, or what could be developed? Either one of you want to start Ryan, how about you? Oh, gosh. In five years, what could be developed? I mean, this is going to depend on a few things, ultimately. Uh, there is some encouraging early real-time monitoring being done with uh, cancer. For instance, looking at the um, temperature of a given tumor, using that as sort of a proxy with other features to get a sense of, is this going to metastasize? Um, Diabetes is another case where I feel the internet of uh, healthcare for diabetes patients still has a lot of room to grow vis-a-vis -vis monitoring. Um, those are my two favorites. Uh, beyond that, I think streamlining the uh, ability of a patient to use remote devices as a way to... Um, our remote devices as a way to feed data to doctors in real time and permit a visit will be very helpful. That's all great stuff, Ryan. And I also want our audience to know that, that that's pretty impressive that you can communicate all those things over a barking dog. So that was quite impressive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you, hey, 
it's all it's this is the world we live in today um michael your your thoughts i was just gonna say if it's not the bird chirping in the background it's a it's a dog giving us a, a hello on the podcast we're animal lovers here what do you want <laughs> that's true yeah so i i can't really predict the future, unfortunately. I haven't learned that skill yet. Uh, still working on it, but I, I can tell you what what some of the things are that um, that I would like to see or that I'm hoping to see. So one of them is if you look at any given person and if you look at the way they live, um, the types of diseases that they may have or the types of lives that they uh, they live or sports that they do, I feel personalization is really going to become a major. Um, big point to to work on and a major development in piecing out much like what I said, right? A heart rate. Oh, it's because this person is running or, oh, maybe their age is contributing to a certain uh, phenotype or parameter that we're seeing. So really making that baseline, not an average of everyone, but making that baseline within the one person. How does it compare to you on your average? Not so much to the population. And then the second one that I, I would be very eager to see, and there's definitely some, some pieces of evidence that there, there is some um, technologies that, that can do this, is combining some of the more basic parameters, and I, I don't want to call them uh, uh, uncomplicated because they can be very difficult to measure, but combining, for instance, vital signs with molecular insights, much like what Ryan was referring to. You can think of the number of white blood cells, red blood cells, hemoglobin, um, blood sugar level, speaking of diabetes, thinking of inflammation markers, right? Both for cancer, but also for infectious disease. Looking at changes in that through a sort of potentially skin approach or, or tapping in some way into the blood plasma on, on a side of the body. That's something I, I think would be incredibly valuable to have and give you really that additional insight to specify more. Very cool stuff from, from both of you guys. I think the internet of medical things is going to keep us guessing and keep us excited about, you know, just the way that healthcare can become more streamlined, more personalized, and, and certainly more effective uh, against some of these, you know, historically very prevalent and fatal diseases. So, so thank you for, for your thoughts. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap up for today to keep in line with our, our truncated theme here. Uh, thanks for uh, injecting a little bit of imagination, uh, both of you. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you're not a subscriber already, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye.